Good morning. Please hear, listen for a word from the Lord. This comes from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 9 and 11, and then continues on in verses 26 and 27. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But, uh, but if Christ is in you, though your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will give you life to your mortal bodies also through the spirit that dwells in you. Continuing in verse 26. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for our words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me if you would. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Folks, I would like you to know something very important. Last summer, I achieved what is perhaps my life's greatest accomplishment. I fixed our air conditioning unit all by myself. That's exactly what I was hoping for. That's how I feel inside. Here's the story. My wife and I decided that we were going to host a 4th of July party. One of the hottest days in New Jersey, um, which I realize doesn't compare to your hottest days, but it's hot for us, so bear with me. And we woke up, we, we, we sent a message out to, to lots and lots of friends. We thought, whoever's in town, we'll just invite them over because, you know, people should have somewhere to go, but most of our friends will probably be gone and out of town. And so we sent a mass email out to a whole bunch of people, and we got, you saw this coming, 100% yes. <laughs> so we took a second run to the grocery store, prepared for our big party, and we woke up on that day, the 4th of July, and my wife looked at me and said, why is it so hot in our house? So I ran downstairs like any of us would do and started pressing buttons on the thermostat as if that would help, and sure enough, it was broken. And so then I did what any good husband would do, which is I got my screwdriver and I went outside to the air conditioning unit and I unscrewed the panel and I stood back and I looked at it and thought, yep, I guess that's what it looks like on the inside of an air conditioning unit. But I'm not a quitter. My mama didn't raise a quitter. So I thought, we can figure this out. Me and YouTube, we're going to do this. So I got YouTube, and I started playing videos of the insides of air conditioning units until I could at least identify each component of the unit. And we finally, this is true, I figured out our capacitor had gone bad. Now, if you're like me, there's only one other time you've heard of a capacitor. And it was in Back to the Future when the, <laughs> the flux capacitor went bad. I didn't know it was a real thing. I thought it had something to do with tri time travel. And I did not know my air conditioning unit was capable of that. It turns out capacitors are a real thing. And mine was bad. 
So I went to Lowe's, I went to Home Depot, they didn't have the right part. So I started calling every heat and air conditioning company in a tri-state area, but it was the 4th of July, so you can guess how many answers I got. Zero. But it turns out one of those phone calls forwarded to a guy's cell phone, and he called me back, and he said, funny thing, I actually have that capacitor in my truck. I can meet you. And so we organized this shady back alley deal. I met him behind a grocery store. I had a wad of money in my hand. We tried not to make eye contact. I handed him <laughs> the money. He hands me the capacitor. We shuffle away from each other. Nobody gets hurt. I went home, got my trusty friend YouTube, and replaced the capacitor, turned on the power, pressed the button, and presto, 4th of July is saved, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you that for two reasons. One, I've already told everybody that in New Jersey, and you were a new crowd, and I just want somebody else to know I fixed an air conditioning unit. Two, and potentially the more important reason, is because I learned in the process what a capacitor does what its role is, it essentially breaks inertia. Here's what I learned, and there's gonna be an engineer out there who can correct me after the service. You can write an email to Nate, it'll be fine. But essentially, here's what a capacitor does. It takes a moderate to high amount of energy just to run an air conditioning unit. But to get the air conditioning unit up and running, it takes a really serious surge of energy, more, frankly, than it can pull from its power outlet. A capacitor provides that surge of energy. So it pushes it, when you hear your AC kick on, it pushes it in a significant way, lots of energy, it gets it up and running, and then once it's up and running, the capacitor shuts off and recharges, and the electricity on its own can sort of keep things going at a moderate level of energy. It breaks inertia, inertia, that thing that keeps a thing in its current state. If it's sitting, it's likely to continue sitting. If it's moving, it's likely to continue moving. That's what inertia is all about. I think this is where we can relate. If you are like me at all, you deal with inertia. In your life on a day-to-day -day basis, there is a way that you want to live, you know you should live, you probably even understand that you were designed to be a particular way, and yet we continue to settle into a rhythm of less than. Because, well, inertia. With our spouses, with our partners, there's a way that we know we should interact with them. One that is loving and that is kind, that is even romantic. But there's just that rhythm that we're in, and it's not that. We get into what a lot of counselors will call the no spiral, where I say something critical to my wife, and so the next time we interact, she is more likely to say something critical to me, and I thus, in return, the next time we interact, am more likely to say something critical to her, and the spiral goes on, and we want better, we actually love each other, but it just takes so much energy to get out of that rut that we don't with our bodies, the way we treat our bodies, the way we eat, the way we take care of our bodies and our minds, our health. We know that we are created a different way. We know that there's a way we should eat, that we should treat our bodies. We know that there's a way to live, that we were designed a particular way, but we have a rhythm. We like ice cream. 
we recognize that we should probably do better, but it just takes so much energy to get out of that rut. We just continue on inertia. You'll know that there, there's one, this is probably a 10-year-old study now, there is one people group, this is across demographic lines, across all sorts of um, sort of criteria, there's one particular people group that is consistently less happy than other people groups. Would you like to know who it is? Say yes, because I'm going to tell you. Par I heard that. Parents of teenagers. <laughs> Parents of teenagers. And I know that sounds funny. That's actually not a knock on teenagers. What it is is a recognition of just how powerful this rhythm, this rut, this inertia is. Because quite frankly, is there anything we love more than our kids? Is there anyone we want to connect with more than our children? We would do anything for our children, and yet we settle for a rhythm of less than. Inertia is a powerful thing, folks. We need a capacitor. We sigh, we groan, to use the language of the passage what was read today, for something more than, but we need someone to act on our behalf because we just can't seem to do it on our own. We need a capacitor. I think this is what Paul was talking about in Romans 8. I think deep in our guts, to use the language of this passage, we know something is better and we just can't figure out how to get there. It says in verse 11, like I read, the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So surely that spirit can give you life. In verse 21, which was a section that wasn't read, it talks about creation itself being set free. And here's the phrase I want us to remember. Set free from its bondage to decay. That's my picture of inertia. We are attached to something less than, our bondage to decay. The creation itself will set, be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And in the end, it goes on to say, uh, the spirit acts on our behalf. The spirit acts on our behalf helps us in our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we ought, but that very spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. It uses, it uses uh, attorney language, legal language, intercedes, acts on behalf of, advocate is what we might say, with sighs too deep for words, and God who searches the heart knows the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to God's will. The point is this, we need someone acting on our behalf. We cannot do this on our own. Uh, a few months ago, I was meeting with a group of pastors that I've been meeting with for probably four years, and one of them was sort of leading the conversation, and he brought a, a two-page little handout. Um, he was teaching on, in his church, uh, the role of the Holy Spirit, and he wanted to get our feedback, so he had collected a whole bunch of passages throughout Scripture about how people had interacted with the Holy Spirit. Um, he understood what is very, very true. We in Western Christianity, we don't give the Holy Spirit a whole lot of talk, a whole lot of airtime. We're a little uncomfortable with it. It's a little fuzzy. We don't know how to talk about the Holy Spirit. If you ever look at artwork, it's actually really interesting. In Eastern Christianity, if you look at some of the art, uh, historically, of Eastern Christianity, it's difficult to tell the Trinity, the parts of the Trinity uh, apart, to differentiate. 
you'll see three figures in their artwork, but it, they're all sort of equal and look similar, and we don't know which one is which. And that's because Eastern Christianity gives this, the role of the spirit sort of a heightened role. They take it very, very seriously, and Eastern Christianity tends to be more comfortable with the unknown spirit talk than we in Western, Western Christianity are. In Western Christianity, you'll see, the, you'll see things like this in our artwork. You'll see the Trinity, the, the, the creator, redeemer, sustainer, or traditionally Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You'll see, this is probably what you would guess, you'll see the Father, and it's a big bearded man, arms outstretched, sort of taking up most of the painting. And then you'll see the sun, and it's Jesus hanging from a cross. And then if you look really closely, you'll see the spirit, and it's a little dove on Jesus' shoulder. That's how we like the spirit. Cute, but not too much of the picture. But from my, I've done some math, and what I've learned is uh, the spirit makes up actually one-third of the Trinity. And I think we should consider that maybe the spirit needs a little more talk. And so we looked at all of these passages with these pastors, and um, I finally leaned back after seeing all of these passages over and over again and how we interact with the spirit as God's people. And I said, fellas, as far as I can tell, I think the spirit is a lot like the capacitor of an air conditioning unit. Which of course was really just because I wanted to tell them I hadn't told them yet that I hadn't fixed our air conditioning unit. But as I looked at these passages, it was real over and over and over again. We have these figures throughout scripture who are not up to the task. They're not up to it. They are afraid. They don't know what to do. They don't have the skill set. They don't have the resume. And then the passage typically goes something like this. It came upon them and they spoke boldly or moved bravely or led the people. But every time prior to that, they were afraid and inept and the spirit comes in and suddenly they move. That's the capacitor. That's what I'm looking for because I know I'm in a rut and I know I need something better. Many of you know the story of Gideon in the book of Judges, which is not everybody's favorite book, but the story of Gideon's a good one. Uh, if you remember, the story begins with the, book of, or with the story of Gideon. It opens, it's great storytelling, with Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, um, many of you have not threshed wheat by hand lately. I recognize that. Maybe not even pressed wine, so I'll give a little background because this was news to me. Um, when you would thresh wheat, you would do it outside, oftentimes on a hill where the wind would blow because you would thresh the wheat, separate the wheat from the chaff. The wheat is what you would want to use. The chaff was the waste. And oftentimes you'd throw it up in the air and the wind would carry away the lighter chaff and you'd be left with the wheat that you wanted to use. Wine presses were indoors, often below ground, totally enclosed. Do you think threshing wheat in a wine press was a very productive uh, endeavor? The author is saying something about Gideon, and it even explains why he's there, because he was afraid of the Midianites. Gideon was so afraid that he wouldn't leave the indoors to thresh wheat. That's the scene. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, are you ready for this? The Lord be with you, you mighty warrior. That's not at all what he looked like. He looked like a coward. 
And yet 20 verses later, we see in verse 34, but the spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and the Abiezrites were called out to follow him. He leads the people to freedom. That's the story of the Holy Spirit over and over again. God has a habit of calling us people we have not yet proven ourselves to be. God has a habit of calling us people we have not yet proven ourselves to be. One of my favorite theologians, Howard Thurman, says it this way, we are given a crown to grow into. A friend of mine wrote an entire book on that phrase about working with youth, and he said the bulk of working with youth is giving them crowns to grow into. We name them things they have not proven themselves to yet be but we give them a place to grow into. That's what youth ministry looks like. In our moments of eager longing, when we sigh for something more we can't even put our finger on, it is the spirit who comes in and launches us into that life that we could not have done on our own, but we knew we were designed to live that way. So, for us, I'd like to invite you to try something. I'd like to invite you to sigh. We'll do it together, one, two, three. That's that's pretty good, folks. Some of you do yoga. (laughs) Let's try it one more time and remember that we are taking a sign, as the scripture says, a sigh of deep longing. One more time, one, two, three. And so I ask you, when do you do that during your week? When does that sigh of deep longing happen for you? For some of us, it's when we roll out of bed in the morning and we think, I'm doing this again? Is this what I was called to? For some of us, it's when we're arguing with our kids about the same thing that we argued about yesterday and the day before and the day before that, and we think, is there not something better? Sometimes it's as we look at our finances or we just look at what we've done over the past year and we think, is this, is this it? Is this it? I don't know what it is for you when you sigh, but I'm gonna ask you to make that a mental cue. Matter of fact, if you feel comfortable, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and picture the moment in your life that you might sigh with deep longing. As you picture those moments, I'm going to challenge you to ask two questions. When you find yourself sighing with deep longing, I would like you to ask the spirit a question. I would like you to say, spirit, are you pushing me to live into this longing? And just listen. And then if you are not too afraid, I'd like you to ask a second question. Spirit, would you push me to live into this longing? Spirit, are you pushing me to live into this longing? And then secondly, Spirit, would you push me into this longing? It is a quiet moment, 
But can you imagine what would happen if we took those moments seriously and gave them their due? If we actually paused and noticed our deep longings and thought, gosh, I wonder if the Spirit is trying to tell me something. I wonder if I'm being reminded that I was called to something better than inertia. I wonder if I'm being invited into a life that I am not yet ready for. But what if we did crack the door open? What if we did let the Spirit in? What if we did take a step toward living the life that we were designed to live? Friends, I think it's worth the risk. That is what we are asking this fall. We're asking you to take a step back and say, what am I being called to? What am I committing to? What is next that is better than inertia? And as we do that, may the Spirit take you to places you did not think possible. May you find healing and joy and life and love that surpass your eager longings. And may we finally live that way that God has designed us to live. Amen.